Okay. Is that better? Yeah. I, I, I first met uh, Pastor Shane when he was, I think, 19. He was 19 or 20 years old, so 21. He was a, he was a young fellow. I uh, met Aaron Shepherd when he was 17 years old. Uh, so I, I've known some of you for a long time, uh, some of you less, and uh, I, I haven't met everyone here, but uh, uh, it really doesn't matter who I am. It uh, matters who Jesus is, and so I want to come today and I want to preach of the Lord's goodness. If you've come for a sip of water today, I want to apologize. I, uh, I usually try to put a lot of time of, in editing so the sermons aren't really long. I didn't have that time. So if you came for a sip of water, I'm the fire hydrant today. <laughs> There's a bit here. So uh, let's hear God's word and then we'll pray and uh, we'll go to it. Uh, for those of you uh, who have your Bibles, your electronic devices, we're in the book of Habakkuk, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look to see what he will say to me, what I, what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits at its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Let's pray and ask God to bless his word. Father, we come to you today, we thank you that you are the God who creates the universe by your words. By your word, you raise the dead. By your word, you open blind eyes and cause deaf ears to hear and cause lame legs to walk. Father, we ask that you would cause our hearts today to rest in you, to trust you, to follow you. I pray, Father, that Jesus would be lifted up and that, Lord, that you would send your spirit to empower us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so before we get into chapter 2, I'd like to give... Has, has everyone been here for the whole series? I've, I've listened to it. Uh, thankfully, Matt has sent me the sermons. But I'll just do a quick review for us. In chapter 1, the prophet Habakkuk he has two important questions that he wants to ask God. And they actually come in a form of a complaint. So first, he comes to God and he says, I'm pretty sure we look at the state of the church sometimes, the, the broader church, and we look at the things that are going on in our culture. And he, he's looking around and he cries up and he says, How long, O oh Lord? How long? Are you going to let this go on? How long are you going to let wickedness and false teaching and rebellion go on amongst your people? And what we need to understand is Habakkuk, he lived through the reign of King Josiah. And if you guys haven't uh, read it, King Josiah was a godly king. And he loved the Lord. And he ended up finding the Bible. And he started going through it. And he's just like, wow, we are totally off track. And so he started to reform the church and the worship of God according to the word, which we always need to be doing as God's people. 
But Habakkuk also started to see the, the downgrade, and he started to see the downward spiral and God's people growing cold and hard and rebellious. So this is what he's crying out, how long, Lord? And then God answers, and I'm sure you guys remember this, but God, God answers and he says, oh, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it. It's just going to be in a way that's going to cause your little pea brain to explode. Like you're, you're not even going to be able to grasp what I'm doing. You know those, that bloodthirsty people, the violent, wicked Chaldeans or Chaldeans? Yeah? Well, I'm bringing them in to discipline you. What? And so you know what? I'd like to just do a little bit of a side note. All of us in this room, unless you've been raised in the eastern part of the world, we're Westerners, and we've been taught how to think individualistically. So when we read the Bible, we like to read it individualistically. But God wants us as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus today, He wants you to read the Bible covenantally. So when we read the blessings and the curses of the covenant... And so we read and God says, if you obey me, blessings. And if you disobey me, curses. Right? And so we think you and we think individual, you. But we should be thinking more like the people who are in the southern states. Right? Y'all. Right? So if y'all, you know, if y'all obey me, blessing. And if y'all don't obey me, cursing. Right? So we need to think of it as a whole, God's covenant people as a whole. So we see stories like Israel's coming into the promised land and they come up to Jericho, right? And God says, okay, this is going to be the only city that this is going to happen, but when you take the spoil of Jericho, it's all mine. It's going to be the first fruits, it's the tithe. And so there's this guy, Achan, right? And he's like, hey, man, look at this stuff. Ooh, Babylonian garment. Starts taking stuff. No one's going to see, right? Wink, wink. It's a secret sin, right? It, does, it won't affect anyone. Wrong. God saw. And all of a sudden, the next battle they go into, they go to fight Ai. It'd be like, you, you know, you guys going out to fight Bentley, right? Like this small little town, right? And all of a sudden, you just get whooped, right? 36 people die? What? 36? Oh, anyone here from Bentley? Sorry. I... <laughs> Where else could I use? Rimby, right here. Right? So, but they're told you need to deal with the sin in the camp. Right? And this is just isn't some Old Testament teaching. 1 Corinthians 5. The Apostle Paul says you need to remove the sin. Remove the wicked from amongst you. It's cancer. It will spread. It will ruin you. So, when we read through things like Habakkuk, and, and I really encourage you, like Jeremiah and Habakkuk, they're contemporaries, they're, they're preaching at the same time. But when we read through these things, you need to understand that when God's bringing judgment, you could be a faithful covenant member. That doesn't mean you're sinless, but it means that you actually are seeking God and you're faithful, but you're going to go through the discipline too. You're going to go through the hard times too. <clears throat> Whoops. So Habakkuk, he, uh, he asks, asks his next question. Complaint. These people are worse than we are, God. Well, what's going on? 
And so when we come, because, you know, if you say, I've never complained before God, yes, you have, right? You may not have verbalized it, but God knows your heart, right? He knows. He knows if you really hate someone, but you're saying, I, I like you, eh, you're not fooling God, right? So when we complain before God, when we have questions before God, what we need to understand is the attitude of our heart is what's important. Because godly people in history, in the scriptures, they came before God and they did. They cried out, how long? How long, God? But what the attitude of our heart has to be is we need to always keep in mind of who God is and we need to keep in mind of who we are. We should never complain and come before God in an attitude of arrogance like that we're all seeing, we're all knowing, we're the ones who are actually the, the judge, and God has to come before our bar. And so when we're asking him questions, he's coming before, oh, yeah, so let, let, me, let me talk. No, it's never that. When we complain, it's always in an attitude of humility. We're coming before the throne, and it's in a humility. And if our ways are ever different from God's ways, we should automatically assume our ways are wrong. So we're coming to complain, but at the very same time, we're asking God, show me, Lord. I must be off track on this, but you're good. You do good. You're never the author of sin. So um, please help me to think your thoughts after you. Change me so that I can rightly understand things the way that you do. Does that make sense? Okay, so now with that, let's, we're, we're in verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watch post, station myself on the tower, and look to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. After Habakkuk asked questions of God, you know, he did something that a lot of us, we forget to do, or we say we're too busy to do. And you know what we do? We use the word busy like it's just an automatic excuse but Jesus said in the parable of the soils, there's a certain, a certain soil that when the weeds, the, the seeds planted, the weeds start growing up and it chokes the word. And what are, what are the weeds? Do you guys remember? Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches. Habakkuk did what we need to do. He asked questions but then we need to prioritize life. We need to seek God's face. We need to set a time, times of quietness, times where we might be even fasting, times of prayer, because we want an answer from God. And a lot of times we end up praying and then we end up walking away after our, you know, like I heard Matt talking about the microwave society, right? 20 seconds later, oh, I guess no answer. You know, so off we go on our way, and God has answers for us. It's just, again, he's not here to answer according to our timing, according to our schedules. He comes in his time. And there's one pastor, he says, how often God's answers come and find us gone. We have waited for a while, and thinking there was no answer, we have gone our way. But as we have turned the first corner, the answer has come in. God's ships touch at our docks, but there is no one to unload them. It's not enough to direct your prayers to God. Look up, look out until the blessings pour on your heads. This is what God is wanting 
us to do. And this is what Habakkuk did. He waited for God, and then God gives him his answer. And this is what God's answer is. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. So Habakkuk waits for God, and God answers. And why does God want his word, including this question and answer period, why does he want it written down? God in his wisdom and in his mercy has given us his inspired word. Does anyone know what, what you call it when God's inspired word is written down? This is for you if you're a theological nerd. I'm a nerd. Does anyone know what it's called? It's called inscripturation, right? So God takes his inspired word and you're going to think, I'm never going to use this. And you're, you're right, you're never going to use it. But he, he has it written down. Right? So the reason why God does it is to preserve his word and to protect his word. So has anyone ever played the telephone game? Yeah? For those of you who haven't, the telephone games, let's say you have 10 people and one person starts off and so you whisper a sentence in someone's ear and then they whisper to the next person. And then by the time you come around, it's just like totally, a totally different message. Well, Think about it if you did that same game, but you wrote, wrote it down. The one person wrote down a sentence, and then when they went to pass it to the next person, they watched over their shoulder and made sure they copied it out exactly because it was a very important message. And then the next person did it, the next person did it, the next person. By the time you get to the end, you have the same message. And so that's what God in his mercy has done for us. And, and the standards for God and the copying out of his word, was just, it's just mind-boggling. I encourage you to, to ever to study it because we have the word of God before us. Can anyone tell me here what the requirements are? There's two requirements for a true prophet of God. Anyone like tests being put in the test publicly? The first one is that the prophet, the words of the prophet, have to be in agreement with all previous revelation. Okay? And the second one is if a prophet says something's going to happen, it has to happen. And now here's the catch. If, let's say, I stood up and I said, hey, thus says the Lord, uh, next Wednesday this is going to happen if it happens, and yet I, I'm just totally wonky, and I'm telling you, well, Jesus isn't God, really, then, then the law of God still says you don't trust that guy, right? Because a broken clock is twice, uh, right twice a day, right? It's, uh, so it's just like, okay, he guessed right, but he's still wonky, so you don't trust him. So if you want to look at that on your own, it's Deuteronomy 13 and 18. tells us what that is. So... If we are God's people in Habakkuk's day and we wanted to test if he was a true prophet, we could take his written down word now and we could go back and we could compare it to previous written down words to see if his prophecy is true, okay? So, do you want to pretend that we're the people of Habakkuk's day and we can actually go and look? First of all, I want you to go back because Habakkuk said, prophesied that God would use the Chaldeans to judge his people. So can we find this in previous revelation? Go back to Deuteronomy, please. Deuteronomy chapter 28, 
and I'll be reading verses 45 to 53. This is a thousand years before Habakkuk. And these curses shall come upon you all and pursue you and overtake you until you're destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness, lacking everything. Now listen to this. It says, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck. Now I want you to, if you underline your Bible, underline that and then in the margin write Jeremiah 28.14. Right? It's really good to cross-reference like this. It helps you as you're studying. So in Jeremiah 28, Jeremiah, who I told you, he's preaching and, and prophesying at the same time as Habakkuk, except he's going into way more detail. But he's, he's preaching that Nebuchadnezzar's coming. He's going to be taking us, right? And there's this false prophet. His name is Hananiah. And, and so Jeremiah, he's, he's built this farm utensil, this yoke, right? And so he's like, Nebuchadnezzar's going to have this yoke on us, right? He's going to control us. He's going to steer us. And Hananiah comes up and this is a lie. Jeremiah's lying, right? And he, he breaks the, the yoke. This isn't going to happen. Jeremiah's response is, thus says the Lord, God is going to put a yoke of iron on you from Nebuchadnezzar. Almost the exact words of Deuteronomy 28. And he says, Until he has destroyed you, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth. Listen to this now, because this was in Habakkuk chapter 1. Swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young and shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you're destroyed and also shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil increase of your herds or of the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. They shall besiege you. Right? This is a warning from a thousand years before and God's looking through the annals of history and he's saying, this is going to happen. If you don't repent, if you continue in your rebellion. So I'll give us one more example of this. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he was a hundred years before Jeremiah. Okay? So this is, this is God's people a hundred years before Jeremiah. And King Hezekiah, who was one of the kings during Isaiah's prophesying, King Hezekiah, Isaiah comes to him and he says, uh, Sort of bummer, right? God says you're going to die. Get your uh, life in order, right? And so Hezekiah's like, oh no, I don't want to die, right? And so for reasons of the Lord's mercy, uh, Isaiah comes back and says, God's going to give you 15 years. So at this point, Babylon sends an envoy. 
They send ambassadors and they've got like a get well card and, you know, got some get well gifts. And, and so King Hezekiah is like, oh, welcome in. And hey, have you checked out my storehouse and my treasure house? And look at the Lord. It's, his house is made of gold. And so these guys are like, oh, cool. See you later. And they go home and Isaiah's like, well, who, who are these guys? Oh, they're from Babylon. Isaiah says, thus says the Lord. He says, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose all of your, your house, all of the treasures in your house, all of your children. Everything is going to be lost because they're coming back. Right? A hundred years. They're coming back. So we see that Habakkuk's words are verified by the past revelation. But now, how about the future? Is Habakkuk, is his word going to come true? Isn't it not? You know, is he, is he still in the balance? So, <clears throat> let's look at uh, verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God's clock is never late. His plans come exactly when he wants them to. And Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things that are revealed belong to us and our children, that we may obey all the words of his law. God is under no obligations to share his secrets with you, but there are times he does, but he's not under obligation to. But the one thing that we need to understand is if God decrees it, it is going to happen. If God purposes it, it will take place in history. He is the sovereign one who controls history. So can I share with you a quick history lesson? I don't know if any of you have ever read the guy's name's James Usher. And he's got a book that's around this thick. It's called The Annals of History. It's an awesome book. He goes through and he shows biblical history and he shows how it deals with Babylon's history and Egypt's histories and Assyrian's history. So if, if you are a bit of a history nerd, it's, it's, it's a good book. <clears throat> if you're not, it's still, it helps you understand biblical history. So I'll, I'll do this quick. 609 BC, Habakkuk writes his vision, okay? 609. 05 BC, so now four years goes by, Nebuchadnezzar's dad, so Nebuchadnezzar becomes the king of Babylon, but Nebuchadnezzar's dad, who was the king of Babylon, dies, and Nebuchadnezzar orders the deportation to Babylon of all the captive Jews. And Nebuchadnezzar then races back to Babylon in order to be made king. And it's at this point, in 605, that Daniel and his friends go off to Babylon, right? And some of the temple furnishings. So if when you're thinking, when we're going through Habakkuk, if you think that the uh, um, Babylon coming and taking uh, Jerusalem happens just in one shot, it doesn't. It happens over a stages, a series of stages, so in 599 BC, so now this is 10 years, I can, I can already, I'm sorry, I can already tell people like, 
Time to turn off. It's like, I, I, we won't go too much on the numbers. But 599 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes back to besiege Jerusalem. He takes all the temple treasures. He takes all the stuff out of the king's house in fulfillment of Isaiah from 100 years earlier. And he also takes King Jehoiachin and 10,000 of the other Babylonians uh, in the city. And at this time, Mordecai and Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, that's when they go off. Right? So when we're reading Habakkuk, we need to be understanding that stuff's going on in, in uh, Jerusalem. But there are things now starting to go on with Daniel and Ezekiel. They're starting to go on in Babylon. God's at work in Babylon. 588 BC, this is the last one. Near the end of the 11th year of King Zedekiah, the famine inside the city of Jerusalem is so severe, like people are eating each other, it's like horrible, and the city wall is broken through. The Babylons come in and conquer, and Habakkuk's prophecy is fulfilled, and it's proven to be true. Now, 19 years ago, my family, we went up to Grand Prairie, what we thought was for three months. It's been 19 years now. Again, God has sort of different plans. But all of my kids are under five years old. I had three at the time. We have four now. All of our kids are adults, and they're in careers, and some are married. You know what? A lot can happen. Like when we read this happened over 21 years, a lot happens in people's lives. <clears throat> But what I want us to understand is for over a thousand years, God warned his people time and time again that judgment's coming. If you sin against me, if you rebel, if you want to spit in my face, yes, I'm calling you to mercy. Yes, I'm calling you to come back, turn from your sin. But if you don't, there is going to be judgment. Now, this is one of my favorite stories. In Isaiah's day, God gave Israel another, really, it was just a, a heavy warning, but the superpower nation of Isaiah's day was Assyria. And so there is this wicked, proud king, and he ends up bringing his armies to surround Jerusalem, and this guy's name is Sennacherib. And Sennacherib, he is just throwing smack talk over the walls, right? Don't let your king Hezekiah deceive you into trusting the Lord, right? Like, he says, we have taken out all the gods of the other people. We are going to just hammer you down. Like, there's no hope for you. Right? And Isaiah, the Lord speaks to him, and he's like, no, he's not taking the city. And so, this guy, this Sennacherib, writes his smack talk letter and sends it into Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is reading, he's like, <laughs> right? And he takes it up to God, and showing God, look, look, this is what he's saying of you. God says, he's not taking the city. He says, I will fight, right? So we see this king, he repents before God and he prays and he asks God, Lord, may you deliver. May you fight our battles. And God's like, for sure I will. And you know what, guys? This, this really should cause us, in a sense, to tremble, right? Tremble in, in delight, but also tremble in, in, a, in a fearful way because God causes Sennacherib. He hears a rumor. Well, actually, no, sorry, I need to back for 
God sends an angel and 185,000 soldiers of Assyria are taken out in a night. And the historians think, well, it was a plague. Yeah, it was a plague that the angel brought and destroyed his whole army, right? So this boastful king wakes up and he's like, where's my fighting force? They just got wiped out. The Lord was standing and fighting for his people. And then the king hears this rumor, and so then he goes back to Nineveh, which was the, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and while he's worshiping in the house of his God, his two sons kill him, right? And I heard someone once say, oh, that's so sad. Like, you know what? That's not sad. This guy is boasting against God, and he's given smackdown. Come on, let's go, let's go. And God's like, okay, let's go. God takes him out. But you know what this needs to encourage us? Is when we as God's people, when we surrender to our Lord, and when we cry out to him, he fights on behalf of his people. And the numbers of, of Assyrians compared to what Israel was, was just way outnumbered. And yet God's like, I can deal with this. I can deal with this. I might just be preaching while we're eating lunch, guys. <laughs> uh, okay, I keep going. Sorry. <clears throat> oh. Okay, so God shows us that the reason why he gives us his word written down is that he's showing us, I am the sovereign controller of the past, I'm the sovereign controller of the present, and I'm the sovereign controller of the future. But another reason why God gives us his word is I, I skipped it. I don't know if you noticed it, but I skipped it from chapter 2. God doesn't want you as a, his follower just to fill your head with knowledge. He doesn't want us to be just brains on sticks who are really good at Bible trivia, right? The apostle, the apostle James says that faith without works is dead. And so Habakkuk says the reason why God gives his word is so that he may run who reads it. God wants, when we are a people of faith, Faith will lead to us running. It will lead to us being obedient. It will lead to us loving and serving and doing. <clears throat> this faith, this running is especially shown when God calls us and what he or commands us and the command seems really counterintuitive to what we in our, in our natural common sense would think is right and true. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter uh, 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. So listen to this. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. Right? So Jesus is saying, you guys look at it this way? <laughs> but it's, it's something totally different, right? So re remember now, the gospel says, apart from God's grace, you are an enemy of God. And God yet says to you, come to me. Surrender your life. And I will show you pardon. Right? You, you stop being the king of your own life. And, and recognize me as the king. And I will show you pardon. I will show you mercy. Don't resist me. Don't continue to fight against me. If you do, it's going to end up in your ruin. It's going to end up in you dying. 
spiritual, physical, eternal death. Repent. So where is this gospel call in Habakkuk's message that the Babylons, Babylonians are coming to sack us? Where can we see the gospel in this? So remember, Jeremiah is preaching at the same time. I'm going to read this. Listen carefully to this because it is. It's sort of a pre-gospel call. Jeremiah chapter 21. For your life groups, I really encourage you as you're going through Habakkuk, read through Jeremiah, read through 2 Kings chapter 24 over and over and over again. Read 2 King, or sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 36 over and over and over again, and it's going to give you a way better understanding of Habakkuk. So, chapter 21. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, the king, when King Zedekiah sent to him Pasher, the son of Melchiah, and Zephaniah, the priest, the son of Mysiah, saying, Inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all of his wonderful deeds and will make him withdraw from us. Then Jeremiah said to him, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands and with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon, against the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the walls, and I will bring them together inside the midst of this city. I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and strong arm in anger and in fury and in great wrath. And you just got to think if you're King Zedekiah, you're like, woohoo, that's really good news. Like, no wonder they threw Jeremiah in the dungeon, right? Like, this isn't a really great call for God's people. <clears throat> and he says, and say to this people, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who stays in the city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you shall live. I'll tell you right now, there's going to be times if our culture gets worse and worse, it will appear that the most dangerous place for you to be is walking in Jesus because there's going to be persecution and trials and hardships. It's the safest place in heaven and earth for us. It doesn't matter what things look like in the temporal realm. The safe, right? For them, the safest place at this point was, well, let's just stay behind the walls. No, the safest place is for you to surrender to the Chaldeans. So, why is it the safest place? Because get this, and this is why, again, it's so important to be reading these things. Daniel gets sent off like years before now. He goes through his three years of education. Nebuchadnezzar has some wild dream. Maybe he was eating pizza, right? Ah, right, I, I dreamt this statue. And so Daniel tells him the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, this is the true God. Daniel's God's a true God. And so as, as God sent Joseph into Egypt a thousand years earlier and Joseph catches the heart of the king and God raises him up and right, he, Joseph now has influence in Egypt, Daniel and his friends have influence 
in Babylon. And Ezekiel's there preaching, right? So there's things going on there. The safest place for my people is going to be to surrender and go to Babylon. In verse 4, we're coming to the end. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And Habakkuk is saying, those who are proud in heart, they're going to reject my teachings. Those who are proud in heart, they're not going to listen when the prophets are saying, surrender your life. You need to surrender to the Lord because you know what? I don't know if you've noticed this with yourself. We as a religious people, we can be really arrogant and proud too, right? And we can follow all the rituals and all the ceremonies. And, and in the Old Testament, they still followed all the sacrifices. Because these things were pointing them to mercy. It was a false mercy for them, though. It was a false peace. And they wanted to listen to the false prophets who said, Hey, you can sin. You're God's covenant people. You're baptized, right? You can sin. Keep sinning. There's peace. There's mercy. It's a lie. It's a lie. If you're trusting in the Lord, none of us are sinless, but if we're trusting in the Lord and we're walking by faith, that faith causes me to come to Jesus and cling to him as Savior and say, Lord, forgive me. And he says, I forgive. But it doesn't reject him as, as Lord and doesn't reject his word. We need, by faith, we come to him in his word and Lord, help me, empower me that I can live my life, that I can fight sin, that I can swim against the stream of an ungodly culture. And you know what faith also does? Is we, we heard it today, and I, it's sort of cool when uh, like I'm just listening to the songs, and then Joanna reads from, from uh, Hebrews. But you know what? Sometimes we view faith as, boy, that guy, he's got a lot of faith. He shares the gospel, and people are getting saved, and, and that person, whenever they pray, you know, the prayers are always answered. And you know what? That is faith. Faith conquers Right? Faith gives people boldness and courage, and you can see kingdoms being taken. But you know what faith also is? Is Isaiah, they say Isaiah was very likely sawn in half. They put him in a log and they sawed him in half. You know, Jeremiah is thrown into a dungeon for weeks and left for dead. Right? So you know what faith also looks like? It looks like, Aaron, I love you, and I'm glad to see your faith. But it's you, faith is we're all going to lose people. Either they're going to move somewhere else or you, you lose someone you love and, and you're struggling with sickness. And it's like, how long, Lord? Like, how long until this sickness goes and, and I'm having relationship problems? But you know what? Faith, that's what the faith is. Sometimes faith comes this way and it's conquering. It's like, in the name of the Lord, and it's just conquer. And there's other times where it's just like, I haven't seen the sunshine for, for months. Like, I'm depressed. And I, I don't know where the answers are going to come from. It feels like I'm just living in a shadow. But you don't let go. You keep hanging on. 
And you know what? The Lord is there. And if he answers us and, and we see uh, relief and deliverance in this life, praise the Lord. But you know what we need to ask ourselves is when I came to Jesus 30 years ago as a cocaine dealer and a, a collector for the, the bikers and a bouncer in the bar, when I came, I was pretty clear that I was bankrupt. Right? It wasn't like, hey, I've got a lot of good deeds, right? So I, I came and I knew, I was just like, man, if this isn't grace, <laughs> there's no hope for me. But that's the same for everyone here. It doesn't matter who you are. You're not going to be saved by religious works. You're not going to be saved by trying to do good stuff. God demands perfection, and it's only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is only his death. His resurrection that makes us right before God, that is the only hope that we have. And so if I am spiritually, I realize that apart from God's grace, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I need to remind myself of that. Because you know what? As time goes on, we can get entitled. And then I do a few religious things, and I'm a Christian for a couple years, and I do some nice stuff, and so then something bad happens. It's like, what's up? Like, what's going on? God reminds us. Uh, do you remember in Philippians where it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure? Uh, yeah? That means every good work that ever comes in your life and ever comes through you is because it flows from Jesus' cross and empty tomb and it comes to you. It's not you offering something to me. It's me still giving you gifts. Gifts of faith, gifts of repentance, gifts to be able to walk a godly life. And it should humble us. And it should cause us constantly to realize, I really have no place to be saying to God, unless you do this for me, I'm walking away. <laughs> no. Cling to him. He is our only hope. And you know the beautiful thing, and I'll, I'll wrap it up. This is like, is this? he said he was wrapping it up earlier. Israel went into exile 70 years. And then... 400 years after that. And you know what's going on? Superpower nations are rising up and fighting and battling. Oh, we're the most important. And, and then it's, they've crashed. And now we're the most important. And meanwhile, you've got this little people group. And they're getting married. And they're worshiping their God in obscurity and shadows. And they're having kids. And then they're having kids. And then they're passing their faith on. And they're passing their faith on. And remember in Daniel's dream, he says, and then there's going to be this rock that's made without hands. <laughs> and he says, and it's going to smash the statue. And he says, and it's going to fill the earth. Right? But it's, it's happening in whispers. Right, as, as the world is standing saying, we're the power. And God is just whispering. And he's saying, no, just trust me. And then there's a baby boy born. And he's the king of the Jews. And he stands against the superpower nations. And he conquers the world by being defeated and suffering and dying for our sins. And he says, but you can't stop me. And he raises from the grave. And you know what? That's the God we serve. 
And as God in Isaiah's day can look after our enemies, and in Jeremiah's day, and in Daniel's, he can look after our enemies. We need to trust him. We need to constantly be repenting of our own sins. We need to be loving our enemies. And in the good times, we praise him. And in the hard times, we praise him. Because he is going to get us through. He is the victor. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we give thanks that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you are the lion and the lamb. You're worthy of our praise. We ask, Lord, that for those in the room today, Lord, who are walking and they feel the sunshine on their face, thank you, Lord, for that. For those who feel like they're walking through the valley of the shadows, Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith, that we would see your beauty in hard times, that we would never let you go, knowing that the only reason why we would never let you go is because you will never let us go. We love you and we praise you. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of preaching. And just bless your people here today. Bless my brother Aaron. I love him. Encourage him, Lord God. Bless his family. Lord, get, give them strength to get through this hard time. For family members who don't know you, Lord, open their eyes to see what an awesome Savior you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Oh, okay.